Welcome to the Pain Podcast, presented by Le Peuple Scientifique. We are thrilled to bring you a platform that unites clinicians, researchers, and pain advocates in sharing a pursuit, understanding pain. In this series of podcasts, we aim to bridge the gap between scientific knowledge and practical applications in the field of pain. Our episodes will feature insightful discussions with leading experts, exploring the latest research findings, innovative treatments and emerging trends in the realm of pain. Whether you are a healthcare professional seeking evidence-based practices, a researcher diving into the depths of the pain mechanisms, or a dedicated advocate striving to improve the lives of individuals in pain, you are welcome. Check out our website, get confident and competent in treating pain. Start today. Okay, welcome to the Pain Podcast, and uh, I'm the host, Tim Beams. I'm a pain physio and educator, and uh, the co-founder of Le Pub Scientifique. And today, I, uh, I'm feeling really excited <laughs> about having a conversation with James Close. James is uh, a physio also working in pain, uh, pain you run a pain management program, don't you? And uh, you're also a, a researcher at Imperial College London, where you are studying psychedelics and pain. Yes. So, um, yeah, well, first of all, James, thanks so much for agreeing to come and, and have a chat and um, yeah, share what's exciting you in the world of pain and psychedelics. Um, yeah, you're welcome, Tim. It's a, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be here. And we've obviously met before. We ran an event fairly recently, didn't we? And um, you're sharing some of your your research findings and things. So if people do want to um, look at that, then you can go onto the LePub website and and find James and Julia as well, your your colleague, talking about psychedelics and pain. But now, um, I suppose this is helpful timing, isn't it? You're just back from the biggest psychedelic research conference or a psychedelic conference ever you were saying in denver with 12 i can't believe it i mean twelve thousand people so it clearly says there is some interest out there isn't there in in psychedelics so uh, the as means to sort of get us going i suppose um I, i'm interested like where how did you find yourself being interested in psychedelics what like what was the the catalyst for that in the first place yeah um yeah thanks for that introduction tim i the story is that i went to uh king's college london i did my master's there in advanced uh, neuromusculoskeletal physiotherapy where i worked with uh, mick thacker uh, you know doing that doing sort of pain module and um also worked in <clears throat> lance mccracken's lab doing my dissertation there and and it was really from there that I became interested in pain science and and sort of segued from um, you know musculoskeletal outpatients uh, into pain management um, and yeah and sort of continued my research interests and then started sort of reading um, the work that was coming out of the Centre for Psychedelic Research at Imperial College London, who at the time were one of um, a handful really of of labs around the world 
um, <clears throat> doing research on psychedelics. And yeah, and it sort of it sort of piqued my interest. And I approached um, the center lead there. The, well, both of the center leads, um, one which is uh, Professor David Nutt and Robin Carhart-Harris, who were working there at the time. Um, and yeah, I think they were doing a talk or something in East London. And I went up to them after the after the talk and said, listen, you know, there's some real potential here. I've, I've read your work. You know, I, I have a, a, a an understanding of pain science and there's some really there's some very clear overlap here. And this is something that's worth pursuing. And and then from that point, they <clears throat> they listened and they they sort of took me under their wing. And I've been working there ever since. And I'm now two years into my PhD and uh, really, really privileged to be to be doing this. I think I feel brilliant well um yeah and and you also creating your own opportunities by the sounds of it so great I, I, there's already you've mentioned a couple of um wonderful people to be motivated by as well haven't you lance and, and mick have both been guests with the pub so yeah it's brilliant mm. to hear what they have to say Absolutely. Yeah. um so um so just sort of thinking about right now then what what's what gets your juices flowing what excites you in the world of psychedelics and and pain yeah gosh there's so much there's so much going on at the moment as you said i've just come back from denver that was quite an experience um there is a there's a huge amount of buzz around this area of research industry you know it's it's people are are very excited um you know right or wrongly at this stage about about the potential for these medicines in mainstream western healthcare and so you know i i, I went to a few talks there you know i i sat on a panel myself and you know there's 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 some interest in this this uh this potential to treat pain disorders but for me it's it's more than that. It's the it's the overlap between rehabilitation and uh, sort of this psychedelic assisted therapy approach, which I think on, on hearing that um, for someone who's not really um, sort of thought much about this or had a much chance to do any reading probably sounds a bit far out. <laughs> and I want to acknowledge that the whole thing. It, it probably sounds a bit far out, far fetched, um, you know, slightly weird, and and um, I want to recognise that as well. But there's there are also some really sound um, bits of research being done at the moment to support this as a real potential um, treatment for not just mental health, but physical health potentially in the future yeah yeah um so so perhaps it would be helpful for us to just say so you've said you've used the phrase psychedelic assisted therapeutic approach mm. doesn't sound like you just get given a bunch of drugs um it's something a bit more than that so what what would that be then the therapeutic approach of the use of psychedelics yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's worth probably building a bit, giving a bit of context to all this, actually. You know, um, psychedelics have been around for millennia, you know, 
they they grow naturally in the wild in fungi um there are there's evidence of people using sort of psychedelics ceremonially medicinally for over 2000 3000 years sort of it, it's it's they've they've been with us for a long time you know and you you look to somewhere in the like in the Amazon basin where some of the tribes there sort of continue to carry on this tradition of using uh, something like ayahuasca uh, which had the active ingredients is is DMT um ceremonially to help heal basically their medicines yeah and and um that that's that's a sort of that was sort of discovered around in <clears throat> around the 50s at the same time uh, there were various chemists and scientists in western world um albert hoffman who synthesized lsd the first time um in the late 30s and then that sort of ran away with itself and, and became um sort of first of all a research drug for psychiatrists to investigate things like um psych uh, you know psychotic states and then and then people started to realize the therapeutic potential and started um uh pairing it with with you know psychiatry psychological sort of therapy psychodynamic therapy and and sort of developed over the period of the 60s and the 70s like this psychedelic assisted um therapy model which was being researched and used until um sort of one point in the 70s when the the, the Reagan government sort of banned it outright um and it was sort of uh sort of left and and it wasn't researched it was um completely it was category a drug and um it was only until sort of the early noughties that the research started to to emerge again um and what's very clear from from what we know now is that um it, you know the drug does have some very inherent sort of properties um that are therapeutic but when it, it it, when paired with psychotherapy and psychological support or some form of therapy um it can augment that and so the treatment isn't just the drug it's the drug paired with with the therapy mm. yeah yeah which to me sounds quite different to how drugs are often prescribed as well where you might have a painful knee or or whatever go and see your your doctor and you get given something and you go away and do it rather than it being a part of um the therapeutic process for for pain not not always the case but but often there's a sort of passive yeah. um part of uh, the role within medication isn't there yeah it's a nice you know it's not it would be nice to learn from that and take it back you know we know that combination therapies from you know pharmacological therapies paired with other treatments sort of work better this is just another example of that really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and maybe that's for for us to park for a discussion later but but it does make you start thinking about the role of medication and pain and we obviously work with people in pain and most if not all of them have had you know numerous medications prescribed 
for with more or less um, benefit. Um, yeah, I wonder whether we can do a better job with the drugs that are being prescribed as well. Yeah. Um, I've got so come. I'll just come back a little bit because because mm -hmm. I heard you say, um, and it's it's it sounds like a a typical researcher's um, perspective. You said. Um, the the people are excited rightly or wrongly in what's coming out in psychedelic research at the moment so I, I what does what does that mean like what are your thoughts there well you know this really the the early studies in psychedelics that took place during the 60s and 70s are not um methodologically rigorous enough to for us to really make any sort of sort of formal conclusions from you know they weren't sort of the the the, the gold standard randomized controlled trials and, and so we're only just restarting that again and, and we're doing preliminary studies you know really to test to test the uh proof of concept <clears throat> uh, that's the stage we're at um really with with the classic psychedelics um and so we're really just growing a body of research and a ground a, a, a sort of a a grounding of research um phase one or phase two studies if you like um to 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 sort of build up the evidence and and so the answer is the evidence isn't there yet and um industry on the other hand industry has very much sort of jumped on this as something that could be you know a new alternative to ssris or a new alternative to all these other treatments that fail you know medically unexplained symptoms and mm -hmm. so there's there's a whole range of people jumping on this and 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 getting excited but with without the real rigorous rcts and research in place to to, to support it and so my my position is of a this sort of cautious optimism you know and 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 sort of recognizing <clears throat> the risks as well as the benefits of using this as a treatment approach and not throwing the baby out of the bathwater and and still you know recognizing that there are other ways um but there there seems to be a, a sort of a sort of real groundswell going on there as well um the exception would be mdma which is not considered technically a psychedelic a classic psychedelic in the sense a classic psychedelic would be something like um, psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, DMT, which is the ingredient in the ayahuasca brew, which which is drunk in the Amazon, LSD as well. Um, MDMA is slightly different. Uh, it's also known as ecstasy. Yeah, it was developed by Alexander Shulgin, uh, one of the chemists. A chemist, I think it was. I think it was in the sort of seventies uh, or eighties, um, and that has been trialed very successfully for PTSD in the states. Um, they have a number of phase three studies now underway that are really pointing strongly to MDMA being more effective than psychotherapy on its own for PTSD and so we're, we're expecting that to be approved by the FDA the American um, Food Drug Administration within the next year oh, wow. so that's going to be a, a first 
Mm. Um, like also it should be said that Australia in the last <clears throat> week have approved psilocybin um as a drug for for medicinal use and, and it could be prescribed by psychiatrists now yeah. uh, some people saying that's maybe a bit premature um uh, some people saying that you know this needs to this needs to happen as soon as possible so that we can start to help people mm. yeah. Mm. yeah 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 well i mean that's yeah really interesting to hear about mdma um is it, it, it and then i i don't know this so i'm just inquisitive to know so from a dosing point of view what would that entail for mdma when you're pairing it with um psychotherapy so it's a very high dose that they're right. giving yeah so it's um it's it's a dose <clears throat> that the dose is intended to <clears throat> um <clears throat> Those is intended to um, create a sort of um, certain altered state of consciousness, yeah, through which people can access memories, traumatic memories, and they can re-experience traumatic memories um, in in a way that is safe for them mm. and and not triggering and or dangerous. That's the idea. Yeah. huge amount of preparation that goes into doing that and like there's a huge amount of uh integration we call it yeah so so time after that they they spend with a therapist making sense of what's happened but it's um it's a very high dose that's used yeah yeah, yeah. which strikes me it might be difficult to do an rct if <laughs> if that's what people are going to experience if they're in an altered, you know, when you're in an altered state of consciousness versus when you don't know you're in an altered state of consciousness. Absolutely, Tim. This is another. This is another issue facing this area of research, which is the blinding aspect. You know, how do you blind someone um, from a psychedelic when it has such a unique, you know, subjective experience? Mm. And you, as soon as you take a psychedelic, you know you've taken a psychedelic, and you become unblinded. And so that that is that's very difficult to 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 change that. I mean, some people have suggested an active placebo, so you know something like THC, which is the one of the active ingredients in cannabis. You know, it sort of sends you into sort of a slightly sort of altered state, um, but is a different drug. Mm. So, you know, there's the potential to compare those two. And then you can, there are various statistical approaches you can use to measuring unblinding, measuring expectancy, and statistically correcting for that post hoc. Um, and so there, there's various ways around it, but it's a really difficult one. Yeah. 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 And typically, but particularly with pharmacological approaches, you would, that would be our gold standard, wouldn't it? So, yeah. yeah. I, I'm no, getting... some, people, some people, some people still asserting that these drugs are actually super placebos. Yeah. Yeah. That they, they, it's very hard to, to demonstrate a, an effect beyond placebo when you have such a, well, such a strong altered state of consciousness and, and, and and that's a that's an interesting argument but what i would say to that is that 
you know, with all the brain imaging that we've done, like, and with all the preclinical work that's being done as well, there are some very clear mechanisms of action hmm. that, that are working beyond placebo. Um, yeah. I've got a, like a couple of things from there that sort of jump out for me, at least, is that that a, a surgery would fit that profile as well as a possible super super placebo. Um, yeah, would, <laughs> yeah. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I suppose so. You know, there's, <clears throat> and you know, this this whole process is likened to a surgical procedure. You know of your consciousness <laughs> you're sort of going deep into your your conscious state and into your trauma and and sort of understanding it and treating it that way yeah. but um yeah i suppose so and and you know it, it's a different it's a different podcast tim but placebo gets a very bad name you know and and we recognize the importance to to demonstrate drug efficacy beyond placebo but placebo is there present in every everything every drug we take and so you know if it is a, even if it is a super placebo in that in that sense are we still not just harnessing you know the the body's natural response yeah yeah you i mean you said before ceremonially it was used to help heal and and it strikes me that that's what you would be aiming for with a placebo and yeah. no no bad thing there from from my perspective as well um what so what mechanisms of action would you say are relevant for us when we're thinking about someone in pain yeah so um the main one that that sort of comes to mind is the the neuroplastic effect that these drugs are thought to have yeah so we've got a number of preclinical studies on rodents looking in vitro and in vivo on how psychedelics can um increase the that sort of upregulate genes associated with neuroplasticity so to promote um you know uh, the the body to take the body the the nervous system back into a learning state okay. and, and and it's ready to sort of relearn sort of existing these existing pathways as well and and on top of that and since then we've had a number of behavioral studies preclinical and in humans that can kind of support this notion of a neuroplastic driver and and there's obvious there's obvious applications there in chronic pain <clears throat> Uh, nociaplastic pain people call it um, chronic primary pain you know we we can observe uh, changes in the way that our nociceptive system is working and there may be an opportunity there to reverse those changes um, through through the use of these drugs potentially mm. um, likewise yeah from a from a pain perspective <clears throat> there is we can what interests me is equally as much as that is the is the behavioral uh pathway on this you know and what what we're seeing is following these very high doses of 
psychedelics, people um, people get a huge amount of perspective on their on their situation, on their lives. Mm. You know, they go into these altered states of consciousness um, where they can where, where it's, it's possible to um, see see perspective on your life on the meaning on what meaning you have in your life what's important to you all of these things are are sort of floating around in your awareness during these altered states of consciousness and and stay with you afterwards most importantly Hmm. you you take away these these learnings and so you know we can see them as uh drivers of um psychological flexibility for example you know which is which is the basis of um, acceptance and commitment therapy. It's it's this idea that um, you can be more open and willing to experience uh, pain and, you know, various challenging experience in your life uh, in the service of more meaning and, and so on. So there's a behavioral angle as as well as this sort of more sort of uh, cells and circuitry, mechanisms yeah yeah yeah, lovely and and uh, I, that sort of preempted a little bit where i was gonna go because you were saying that you were your interest there's a sort of um overlap but you you're interested in the integration into rehab as well with someone in pain yeah so you know there's this these drugs are used to typically in you know a psychiatric setting which is more focused on you know mental health but what how you know if if they do drive neuroplasticity then we could we you know we can use them potentially in that context Hmm. psychotherapy is a way of is a form of driving changes in your beliefs and your understanding of the world around you and your behaviors but but what if we apply our more traditional you know um physiotherapeutic uh tools to this you know um changing giving you giving you an opportunity to change one's relationship with movement you know mm-hmm. therapeutic mind body movement in combination with this could be could be sort of really healing and it's something that's it's already done you know we have to acknowledge that 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 um these these traditional ceremonial um practices already harness and already do this and and on top of but then what happens is if then we integrate something like um like an evidence-based um treatment like the obvious one is mirror box therapy for something like phantom limb pain you know which we know has has good efficacy and is based it is the 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 basis of that the theoretical basis of mirror box therapy is is about driving neuroplastic change in the brain um through these afferent sort of visual processes that are going on and so, you know, you can come, what happens if you just combine these two together and, and create this, this sort of no, this sort of neuroplastic state and then do mirror box therapy, will it increase the, the efficacy, you know, and actually there's a team already doing this in, in, uh, San Diego, um, led by, um, 
um, Joel Castellanos, um, who's a physician there, uh, who was also in Denver actually. We had a and was on our panel, and they're doing they're using psilocybin with with phantom limb pain in in combination, mm. uh, and and so you know you, you can get your imagination can sort of get carried away with all of the the potential adjuncts that you could bring into this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Lovely. I mean, that's, yeah, you, you, there's so many different threads, aren't there? Just, just waiting to be, to be explored and, and pulled on and tested. So, um, awesome. Um, James, unfortunately we're running out of time, which means I want to just, um, wrap up with the normal Le pub question. Um, if you could, uh, well, like we were toying with what it would be. If you could go and have a drink at the bar, would be a typical one. I think that let's stick with that for for the pub um, listeners. Uh, if you, if there's someone, two people, past or present, that you'd love to sit down and, and have a drink with, um, who would they be? And and if if you know why, why why would you choose them? That's a good question. I mean. I mean, the first one I think would be very interesting would be uh, Carl Gustav Jung. Um, so Carl Jung was one of the, was Sigmund Freud's student and he uh, sort of developed his psychoanalytic method around dream interpretation and is, you know, he's responsible for, his work is used heavily in this sort of psycho sort of this sort of psychedelic assisted approach but there's no evidence to show that he ever tried any sort of psychedelic and so it would be very interesting to to kind of hear that that take on it you know um and then the second one a bit bit boring it would be joe biden you know (laughs) you know it 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 was it unfortunately was america that you know meant that psychedelics were sort of banned in the first place wrongly in my in my view and so it's i think it is going to be america who is leading the way and will change these policies worldwide um and we'll see i think what we'll see in the next four to five years anyway is um some some policy drug policy changes once and once america shifts their drug policy the rest of the world will follow um and it will make research much easier um and it will make these it will will accelerate the whole process of getting these this potential therapy to people who who really need it and aren't who aren't being served by the current medical model and so if we could any way to accelerate that you know it'd be interesting yeah cool i mean yeah what a combo there then for your for your drink um (laughs) (laughs) james uh huge huge thanks and i'm sure a number of people will listen and and start to really give them a a more fuller picture of of what psychedelics really mean for us into the future in in research and 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 also in in health and well-being as well right uh, just give a few um reading suggestions oh of course yes please do 
it's very there's a very well-known book now was bestseller by uh, an author called michael pollan uh which is called how to change your mind um and that's really uh that's really sort of credited with a, with a lot of uh, with getting the word out and it explains all of this in a really the history and the current movement in research in psychedelics in a really clear way from someone who you know was a skeptic or you know started off a skeptic um and that that's also been developed into like an eight-part netflix series i think you can watch it on netflix as well there's also a number of different documentaries magic medicine on netflix as well which sort of uh, is a get an account of this psychedelic assisted therapy and then there's also a recent book that was launched last week by uh my boss Dr. professor david nutt which is called psychedelics and um that's available in most bookstores and that again gives a really a really strong compelling scientific argument for why uh for why this is a thing yeah lovely great we'll uh we can link them in the podcast blurb so thanks for doing that i'll check them out as well um for those listening if you if you're not already then um come and follow us <laughs> subscribe to the podcast and if you like what you heard then give us a like and share with your friends family neighbors uh dog whatever it is let's get the word out there we we really truly want to change the world and understanding of pain and and a huge thanks for james for for helping on that journey and um wishing you all the very best thank you tim